We're going to continue the series that we're doing this Christmas season called A Season of Light, looking at various passages related to the birth of Jesus and how light plays a part in that. Well, the Hill House read second, or Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, a little bit ago, particular birth narrative. I'm going to read from verses 8 to 20 in that same chapter, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And as I get ready to do that, I want to give a special thank you to Anna for all of her hard work every Sunday. Why don't you give her a hand? She is only 14. She looks older than that, acts older than that, so people are always surprised. But she is, uh, when it comes to church planting kids, this is the positive thing. She's a beast. So uh, sings and plays in here, goes out and helps with children's church, comes back in for altar call. And uh, so, so grateful for her. And uh, for those of you that were here last week, Anthony and Cameron were also here. They are in Wisconsin. Uh, newly engaged as of Thursday, and uh, so excited about that. They will both be back, uh, well, Anthony at least will be back with us at least one more Sunday before uh, he goes back to college for his final semester. Uh, Thankful for my children during, well, all the time, but especially when it comes to church work and how they just get in and and help out. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. This is the night that Jesus was born. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So for just a few minutes, I want to preach about the light of God's glory. The light of God's glory. God bless you. You may be seated. There's a local church here in Olathe that does they call Journey to Judea in St. Louis at the college where I attended and worked for 
It's worked for some 14 years. We did a similar thing called Back to Bethlehem, and we got that idea from a local church in the St. Louis area, but just, I guess, the last three or four years, I went to Journey to Judea, and we took a group of people with us. Actually, every year, we've taken a group of people through uh, Mission Southside and primarily connected with Fountain Ridge, where we do some ministry and service work. And after going through Journey to Judea this year, we went to McDonald's, which is somewhat of our tradition now. It's, uh, and as we sat around eating, I asked the kids, even I guess probably asked some of the adults as well, what was their favorite scene or favorite part of Journey to Judea? Now keep in mind, a couple of the kids, uh, when we were in the middle of the, this journey, and it's, you start... You start inside, you go out, you have a guide that's leading you to different scenes, Old Testament scenes about the coming birth and the promise and the prophecies of the Messiah and different stages along the way. And you go through uh, Bethlehem and you see the babe in a manger and all these different scenes. And before we got to some of those scenes, a couple of the boys came running by me that we had brought with us. And they're like, thank you, Mark. This is the greatest day ever. I'm like... Cool, man. I'm excited about that. I'm glad. That's why we were doing it. We were taking them to expose them to the true story of Christmas. But as I asked after the event what their favorite scene, it was almost unanimous that the favorite scene in all of Journey to Judea was the scene that I just, pre- I just read the text about. That the scene starts off and you, you go up to the scene and then a light shines and there's an angel standing there and he's talking to these shepherds. And then well, the text says that suddenly there's this other host of heaven and so behind you and you can't see it until they pop the lights on and hit the music and the, the choir, there's a choir of angels that are in a different part of the woods right behind us that you're not looking at and they start singing and great scene and, and great moment of journey to Judea. It was their favorite scene. It is this text, the setting is this, that there are shepherds in the field at night, watching and guarding their sheep. And it wasn't that shepherds were always in the field. They didn't always stay out of doors, especially during the wintertime. They were most often not out in the field. The sheep were herded together close by and the shepherds were inside. But In this particular season, they were out in the field and they are guarding their sheep because as you would know, sheep are not very defensive animals. They can't protect themselves. They can't protect themselves from predators. They can't even protect themselves from themselves. Saw a video the other day of of a guy getting a sheep out of a ditch. The sheep had fallen in. It was a big sheep. This wasn't a little baby sheep. This is a big sheep. He falls into a ditch. The guy, the video starts with the guy getting the sheep out of the ditch and getting him onto the bank. And within five seconds, the sheep has made a loop and ran right back into the ditch and couldn't get himself out. Shepherds guarding the sheep from both predators and from themselves, keeping them from wandering off, keeping them from danger. Some would even say that it was possible that it was the lambing season, the season when lambs were born. And so the the shepherds in early spring would be out in the fields. Now, if you picked up on what I just said, a couple of things I've said, 
Understand Jesus was not born on December 25th. He's not born in the wintertime. There's a lot of reasons why we have that date. But in one sense, any day is as good as another in which to celebrate the birth of the Savior. And so they're in the, in the field guarding the sheep probably early spring. And if it is indeed the lambing season, what has really taken place is that these are the lambs that are going to be born for the Passover sacrifice because it has to be a sheep or a lamb in the first year of its life. It can't be 13 months old. It has to be 12 months or less. So the lambs born the year before don't qualify for Passover, but only lambs that are going to be born this year. And so they're typically killed some one or two, maybe three months after their birth. It is probably the lambing season. And in the the middle of that, they are standing there. They're minding their own business. They're probably taking turns. Not everybody awake at once, but people taking turns throughout the different watches of the night. Nine to twelve, and twelve to three, and three to six, and taking turns, keeping the sheep safe. And in the middle of this, the Bible uses the phrase or the word, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance, it wasn't just that the angel shows up, but the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. It was unexpected. It was sudden. Now, I... I, I, I like a nightlight as much as the next person. Not because, once again, not because I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's in the dark. No, not really. But what I'm afraid of is when I sleep without a nightlight and I get up in the night, I'm going to hurt myself. Anybody been there? So I like a light at night, but just imagine in pitch darkness with just maybe a few stars, all of a sudden this person just appears. You don't see them coming. Just all of a sudden, they're there beside you, and with them is this great light. Anybody think you might be terrified? The text says that they were terrified. It is, of course, the natural reaction. You see this throughout the Scripture, that every time angels show up, people are afraid. I would like to think I would be a little different because I have the Word of God, but I probably would be a little scared if an angel just suddenly appeared in the middle of the darkness of the night with a bright light. But when the angel appears in this light, it's also the radiance of God's glory. It's not just any light, but it is God's glory that shows up in a tangible way. And it is an illumination. It shines and it radiates from where the angel is standing. God's light is often, and when we started this series, I mentioned that his light is often associated with his presence and his goodness. But his light can bring fear when it's unexpected, when you don't know what, when it's coming and how it's going to come. And so the angel reassures them what almost every angel does when people are afraid. The angel will just say, do not be afraid, and that's, the, that's just it. The text never, I don't know that there's a passage in the Bible when the angel says, do not be afraid, that they're still really afraid. Just something about that phrase when the angel says it, do not be afraid. But the supernatural appearing of this angel and the brightness of the light, it's unexpected. It's, they're just going about their business. They're doing their normal routine. It's what they did the night before. It's what they're going to do the next night. It's probably what they did the year before as they continue just to go about doing their normal routine. And in the middle of that, God shows up and the angel of the Lord shows up and his radiance of his glory comes. 
I would tell you that people can come to church frequently and they expect things as usual, including the pastor. And then God shows up. And while He always shows up when we gather together, and, and the reason I know that is because I feel Him in a tangible way, but, but I know that even when I don't feel Him, He's here because He inhabits the praises of His people, that when we praise and worship God, He shows up. I know He's everywhere, but it becomes a tangible you can feel his presence. You can feel it's not just emotionalism. It's not just goosebumps because things are emotional, but God shows up. And he does it oftentimes when we don't expect it. This is a Christmas Eve service. You may not have come expecting an encounter with God. We're going to sing a few songs, a few Christmas carols. We're going to talk about the nativity. And while all of that is appropriate at this time of year, we don't do it just so we can go through the motions and say we had a Christmas Eve service or we had a Sunday morning service, but we come expecting God to show up. The message of the angels was this, the Savior. The NLT, it's emphatic, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, in case you don't get it on the Savior it's Messiah, this one you have been waiting for. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This is the day that the person they have been longing for for centuries, for millennia, has finally showed up, and it is to these shepherds that the angel comes. But the angel doesn't just say, this is the message that the, that the Savior has been born but he implies a couple of things with the next statement. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. The angel presumes that they're going to go and seek and search for the baby. Not if you were to go look for him. This is how you would know it's him. But he just says, you will recognize him because he's lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. I would tell you, there are a number of things about God that are different than us. You've probably heard people say, oh, I don't have to prove myself to you. Anybody, anybody ever heard somebody say that? Anybody ever said that? But here's the deal, God who is over everything, the creator of the universe, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, knows all things everywhere, has all power, he's not above proving himself. He doesn't just say the angel through the angel, just trust me that it happened, I'm going to give you a sign. This is how you're going to know that what's being spoken to you is true. God is willing to prove himself. It is, in fact, God was what he does through the book of Acts. He proves himself over and over. As the apostles would preach the message of salvation to people, God would show up and prove the truth of what was just preached with miracles, signs, and wonders that the blind would see and the lame would walk and the deaf would hear and the dumb would talk. And then people would believe that God would prove himself to them. And then they would believe. 
But it's not just that God is wanting to prove himself, but the reality is this, God doesn't want you to miss who he is. It's not enough just to say, well, he was born tonight in the city of David, in Bethlehem, that city of David. He didn't want the shepherds to miss who he was. He didn't want the shepherds to miss out on a further encounter with him. After the angel gives the sign, all of a sudden, the host of angels appear. And they would say this, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is That ultimately God's glory that is in heaven and what you attribute to God and what you attribute that glory of God that is in heaven has now come to earth. And the people in whom God is pleased in, He has come to them. Why has He done that? It's it's because it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As John 3.16 would say, as most of you could quote, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the reason that He came. This isn't the first place, of course, that angels have appeared in the Christmas story. Angel appears to Zechariah. Angel appears to Mary. The angel appears to Joseph in his dream. Joseph gets a double whammy. He gets a dream, and in his dream there are angels. Once again, I mentioned to you already, that's that callback to the other Joseph. What did he have? He was a person who had dreams. Where I really am going is not just to retell all that happened, but to give you points of application. Understand that when God shows up, He has a reason. That God never just does something without a reason. Before I give you the reasons and how we should respond to that. Let me ask this question, why shepherds? Of all the people that could have been in or near Bethlehem that night, why shepherds? Shepherds considered lowly, not very high up on the economic scale. They were poor. These shepherds, often seen as filthy and dirty. They're sleeping out in the field. They're wrestling with the animals. Compare the shepherds with the wise men or the magi. Stately, wealthy, high intellect, looked at with renown because of what they know and what they do. But these shepherds, they're lowly, they're poor. And I don't know all the reasons why my phone would start in the middle of this message. It was a podcast I was listening to and Siri decided to turn it on. I don't know all the reasons why he would pick shepherds, but maybe it's because Jesus is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world, and maybe they get that. They're out in the field raising these lambs that are going to be offered as the Passover sacrifice, and Jesus is going to be the ultimate Passover sacrifice. 
The text doesn't really tell, tell us all of that. It leaves us to figure it out. But it does give us three things that we should do, that when God shows up, we have a responsibility, and I'm going to hurry. The first is this, when God shows up, we have a responsibility to seek Him. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Let me hurry through this. They're seeking. The Messiah began with a decision, a decision and a determination. We're going to go and find him. We're going to go and seek him out. It doesn't matter what it takes. We're going to go and seek him. It begins with a decision and determination, and it is for you as well that you must believe if you're going to seek the Savior. You've got to believe that he loves you. You've got to believe that he cares for you. You've got to believe that you can be saved and you can be in relationship with him. starts up here, and maybe in here as we talk about our heart, the seed of our soul or of our emotions, and quickly they go out in search of Mary. There's no addresses, there's no GPS, nothing in the text says To us, that the angels say, go down to the second street in Bethlehem, hang a left, it's going to be the third stable on the right. No address, no star. The Magi had to star, but no star, just, I understand Bethlehem's not that big, but it's still going to take some effort. And they go and quickly, they search him out until they find him, but they've already got the sign. They know when they find him, he's going to be a babe lying in a manger. I would tell you that God is calling us to seek him, and he is calling us into a saving relationship with him. If you fit in the camp where you're not in a relationship with Jesus, this Christmas Eve could be your day. The second responsibility is this, we have a responsibility to share the Messiah. After they see him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. The text would say all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary pondered these things in her heart. Everywhere they went that night on their way back to the field, telling everybody, hey, angels showed up. Angels told us this, and we went, and we found it just like the angel said, but not just that there's a babe lying in a manger, but that this babe lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes is the Messiah, the one we've been hoping for, the one we've been praying for, the one we've been waiting for. He is here. I would tell you there are people who are waiting for you who know the Messiah to share him with them. There are people in this room who need to share Jesus with somebody else this holiday season. It's not enough, and it's cliche that we know the reason for the season, or Jesus is the reason for the season, but if he really is the reason for the season, he came so that he could be shared with everybody. And I could mention specific people who are here today, and I've done it numerous times with 
Melody's family in two different lines of people, some five generations deep, if we could call it that, or, or Belki who brought Josefina, and Belki who brought Lulu, or Janice who brought Stephanie, and others that are told, they were just told, somebody said, hey, come see a man. Just like the lady, at the woman at the well who said, come see a man who told me everything. When you have a relationship with him, you have a responsibility to share him with somebody else. And lastly, when God shows up, we have a responsibility to glorify him. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Encountering the light of God's glory changed their lives. They didn't just go and see, they didn't just share. They went back glorifying and praising God. An encounter with the light of God's glory is designed to change our lives. It's designed to make us different than we were before we encountered Him. I've been to thousands of church services in my life. Raised in church, my dad was a pastor. Growing up, minimum three times a week. some 45 years minimum three times a week and back in the day we would have revivals that would be six days a week twice on Sunday the longest one I remember was 16 weeks seven services a week for 16 weeks that's a lot of church that's a lot of encounters with God But it's not encounters with God, and I go, man, that's, that's one. Next week, man, we'll put another mark on there. I've encountered him again. It's not he who encounters him the most who wins. It's he who lets the encounter with God change and transform their lives that wins because we're going to make it to heaven when he changes and transforms us with an encounter with his presence. It was not an event they would forget. If you can imagine whatever the greatest event in your life is, and one day just waking up, man, man, that was something awesome that happened once in my life, and I can't remember. They don't forget this night when an angel appears to them and the light of the glory of God's radiance appears, and then a whole host appears. You don't forget that. No doubt, from that night until the end of their lives, they were constantly bringing it up. And once again, it's not just an encounter, but it was an encounter that said, this is the Messiah, the one you have been longing for. And in a culture where they're constantly talking about the Messiah is coming, in a culture where they're constantly looking and longing for the Messiah, every time he's brought up, every time somebody says, man, I hope... Messiah is soon to come. They were like, he came in Bethlehem. Let me tell you the story. Paul, who had a similar encounter on the road to Damascus, 
where all of a sudden he hears a voice and a bright light and he's changed and transformed in that, from that encounter. Over and over in the book of Acts, he would recount his testimony. I was on the road to Damascus. You don't forget an encounter with God. But it's not just retelling the story of what has happened to them or what has happened to you, what has happened to me. It's not enough just to go, hey, let me tell you this story. It's not living in light of the fact that that event happened, but it's living in light of the fact that He is still here. That the Messiah wasn't just born that night, but He is still living and He is still here. We are called to live for Him, not just to proclaim Him. I use this often. It's part of our cultural euphemism. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And the phrase implies that I'm not doing it again. Nothing is different. Went to Yellowstone. Got the t-shirt. I've been to Yellowstone. Are you going back? No, I've been there already. Got the t-shirt, see? The relationship with God is not just had an encounter with him, I got the t-shirt, but it is a life lived for him, and that the way we glorify God the most isn't just with our words, and it's not just what we do when we lift our hands, it's not just when we offer words of praise in a church service, but it is a life that is lived for him, that is what he is calling us to do. That in light of his birth, live a changed life. To glorify him with our lives. As Anna comes to the music, James would write it this way. Faith without works is dead being alone. But he prefaces that with this, if a man says that he has faith but he has not works. His faith is dead. Why? Because what we say doesn't supersede what we do. I can say I have a relationship with him, but do I live like I have a relationship with him? I can say that I love him, but do I live like I love him? I can say that I know that he came but do I live like He came? God's light shines to all. He's not hiding His light. As I've already said, it's not His will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be in a saving relationship with this light that shines to all on that Christmas night it shined to the lowly the shepherds so 
wherever you put yourself. None of us ultimately are worthy of His love. None of us are worthy of His grace. But He loves us anyway. Not because of what we've done, not because of who we are. He just loves us. Because He is our Creator. and He came to save us. God's light not only shines to all, but it brings people to Jesus. Everybody in this room would have been able to tell most of the Christmas story that I just preached today. A few things maybe I threw in here and there, but you could have told the gist of it. You know the story. You know the message. You know that some 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem, the city of David, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, was born. So if you know the message, the question is, how will you respond? Will you just say, well, I know that truth? Or will you follow that truth today? Will you be like the shepherds and make a decision to go and see Jesus? Will you be like the shepherds and say, I I need to go and see for myself? The angels told me, but they said, you'll recognize Him. Will you seek the Savior today? you know Him and you've already found Him, will you share Him with somebody this Christmas season? And this all-encompassing last question is this. Will you live a life that is glorifying to God? Will you live in light of the fact that He came? Will you live in light of the fact that He's still here? Will you live in light of the fact that He still wants to save, that He still wants to change and transform lives. Would you stand together today? It's 12 o'clock and it was my goal to hold this service to one hour and I could I could pray a dismissal prayer and we'd get out of here. But I want to give somebody an opportunity today to respond. If you don't know who Jesus is, today is the day to meet Him. He's no longer lying in a manger. He's no longer wrapped in swaddling clothes. He is sitting on the throne of heaven. He's already went to the cross. He was buried. He was resurrected. But He's here today that you could find eternal life. And if you don't know Him, you find that eternal life by just making a decision. Then, Jesus, I want to follow You. Jesus, I want to serve you. And when you make that decision, what you're also saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and I'm going to turn from what I've done, this this pleasing to you, and I'm going to go your way. I'm going to quit going my way, but I'm going to go your way. When you've done that, you're ready to be baptized in the only saving name. Baptized in in water by immersion in the name of Jesus, the remission of sin. He'll fill you with the gift of His Spirit. So if you don't know Jesus today, 
make today your day. That as we celebrate his birth, celebrate the real reason why he came. Just to seek and to save that which is lost. Of whom all of us at some point are in that category. If you're already in a saving relationship with him, then my admonition today to you is this. Come and make a declaration that you're going to live for Him and serve Him and you're going to be everything He's called you to be. Everything He wants you to be that you're going to give your whole life, your heart, everything to Him so He can make you to what He wants you to be. Wherever you fall in those categories, I'm going to invite you just to come around the front just for a couple of minutes. We'll try not to drag it out, but would you come and would you offer yourself to Him today Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we adore you. Oh, we adore you, Jesus.